0: Welcome to the Willing to Listen, South Bruce Proud podcast. Willing to Listen is a grassroots volunteer group based in South Bruce, Ontario, that is dedicated to thoroughly investigating multiple aspects of Canada's proposed deep geological repository for spent nuclear fuel. I'm Sheila Whittack, and I'm so excited to have you join me as we delve into this controversial project. On today's episode, I'm joined by Dr. James Konka. We are going to discuss the Waste Isolation Pilot Plant, or commonly known as the WIPP, that is a deep geological repository for transuranic or weapons waste that is situated in New Mexico. Thanks so much for joining me today, James. You're welcome. If you wouldn't mind, could you just give a brief introduction of yourself to our listeners?
1: Yes, this is Dr. James Konka. I've been in the field of nuclear science and planetary science for the last 40 years. I've got a PhD from Caltech in 1985 a masters in planetary science in '81, and a degrees in geology and biochemistry from Brown University in 1979. So I've been working on this for quite a long time. We first, you know, started dealing with planetary issues and global warming, you know, back in the '70s when we were working on Venus. <laughs> That's where we figured out a runaway greenhouse effect, and so it kind of morphed nicely into uh, nuclear issues. And started out again when I graduated from Caltech. Worked at NASA, JPL, and Arizona State University. Um, and then I uh, went to Pacific Northwest National Laboratory up here near the Hanford site, there for a few years. And uh, my wife and colleague, Dr. Judith Wright, uh, in the same kind of field. Then DOE asked us to start a spin off business around a couple of technologies that we developed, which was interesting. Uh, small business, if it's not Velcro, it's not worth it. <laughs> so you know, you know, these specialized scientific, you know engineering kind of things are, are interesting, but uh, so it was very eye, eye-opening about small business. gave me a really good idea uh, about that. But then uh, got a position at uh, Los Alamos National Laboratory, head of Radionuclide geochemistry, and then went down to WIP, because that was when WIP opened,? Okay, And so helped start the Los Alamos office down at WIP, since they needed people that knew about plutonium since it's mainly a plutonium repository, although it has everything else in it. And then um, became director of the Carlsbad Environmental Monitoring and Research Center, which I really want to talk about today, Uh, something that you should have if you end up hosting a a repository. Was there for six years. And so all the environmental monitoring that we'll talk about with that incident, with the whip incident and, you know, Valentine's Day of of, uh, 2014. All that was, all the information that came out of that was from my old laboratory uh, down in Carlsbad. So I have a firsthand understanding of that. And then um, came back up here to Hanford uh, where the grandkids are. And then have been just consulting. I was director of a couple of rad laboratories out at the site at Hanford site. And then um, kind of just became a consultant and writing for things like Forbes, which is very interesting as a scientist.
0: Yes, I've read. i read quite um, a few of your articles for and Forbes.
1: stuff like that. Okay, um, good, so
0: you're a busy guy. It's an interesting guy.
1: venue. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> yes. You're a busy guy, and you're the right guy to talk about if we want to talk about the whip. Yes. Um, which is good. So what I like to do also is just kind of open with a bit of an icebreaker. If you could just tell us what the best piece of advice you've
1: ever received was. The best piece of advice? Oh, that's good.
0: In general, not necessarily uh, related.
1: One thing I could, the other thing I can think of is taking this job at Los Alamos. So that was, that was a, a good bit of advice. Um, yeah. Worked out well and got me into the heart of a lot of issues that are burning here today.
0: So let's just get right in to the WHIP. So when did the WHIP open for receiving uh, uh, waste? Uh, 1999. Okay. So it opened so, in 1999. Fifth, right. And it and, houses what kind of waste?
1: Um, it's only. Per- it was built and uh, designed for everything, for everything from any source. Okay, it was built and designed for that. But it was only permitted and licensed for transuranic waste, which is the weird waste that no one ever knows about because it's mainly associated with weapons. And we have a lot of it because it's weapons and we have a lot of weapons. Uh, same thing with, with Russia. So, so the, only, you know, the only two countries that have a significant amount of this particular waste is, is Russia and, and the, the United States. Now it's somewhat similar to intermediate level waste in, in Europe, which is reprocessed waste, but that's reprocessed not for weapons, but reprocessed for fuel. But it's, so it's kind of like that, but not really.
0: So would you say weapons waste is a step lower than spent fuel?
1: Yeah, I mean, anything is a step lower, but um, it's still pretty hot. It's not, it has nothing to do with activity. The range of activity is from 100 nanocuries per gram of plutonium equivalent, which you know, is just a little bit, up to 23 curie per liter, which is quite hot. And although not quite as hot as, as spent fuel, but it, you know, it's, it's quite hot. So if you can handle that waste, then you can handle spent fuel. In fact, spent fuel from a commercial reactor is easy to handle. I mean, that's, yeah, it's hotter than anything else, but it's incredibly easy to handle because it's a solid. And so as a solid, you can shield it, you can move it, it's it's no big deal. Um, The weird waste that goes into whip, a lot of it, you know, like the tanks up here at Hanford site um, are gunky peanut butter-like texture with, you know, salt and, you know, it's really nasty stuff and hard to deal with because it's, you know, liquid paste kind of stuff. So you have to solidify it, dry it out, in order to get it on the road. So according to the regulations, both here in Canada, you can't have more than 1% free liquid in anything you put on the road. But once it's a solid, then it's just very easy to shield. We know how to shield. No one's ever been harmed by nuclear waste. I mean, you need to know that no one's ever been hurt by nuclear waste ever. Hurt by nuclear waste. Now, people who work at uh, facilities sometimes they fall off a ladder, you know, hurt themselves, and nothing. To, it has nothing to do with with uh, nuclear waste itself or with radiation. So, normal industrial accidents do happen, although they happen much less frequently, like a hundred times less frequently, at nuclear facilities because everyone's so focused on safety. Speaking of a ladder, when I was up at Hanford, uh, we had to take ladder training. It was fun. I didn't know that much about ladders before. And you, ha- you cannot operate a ladder without two qualified operators. Wow. So no one ever falls off. Yeah, no one ever falls off a ladder. Um, it's, it's, it's absurd. I mean, they, the only person to die at a nuclear facility here a few years ago fell off scaffolding and, and you know broke his neck. Well, that, that's horrible, but it has nothing to do with nuclear but it's so safe because everyone is is everything's proceduralized at a nuclear facility so you know yeah. you can't you can't do anything outside of procedure and so uh, uh, so that's why it's so safe in fact it you know it is the safest industry that there it is it has the lowest per man hour worked of any any, any industry the lowest uh, accident as well as death rate so uh, yeah but it's you actually know that if you know.
0: it's incredible when you actually look at the statistics because you know people yeah. think nuclear is this big scary thing because of things like chernobyl and fukushima even including right. those events it's still the safest form of energy production even including oh, yeah, absolutely. even including those right. deaths from you know chernobyl which is viewed as the worst acts, maybe fukushima is the worst one now um, but definitely not no, 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 of no, deaths
1: no. chernobyl is the yeah, worst Chin- chernobyl's like, with fukushima didn't do very much so the the, the amount of radiation <laughs> released by fukushima was not that much and right. and in fact no one needed no one needed to be evacuated and they certainly didn't need to be hastily evacuated uh, which itself caused about 1600 yeah. deaths which goes down that road but, of and,
0: the fear of radiation is worse than the radiation right like
1: absolutely it's, it's definitely nope, true seen in dozens, what I've seen. dozens and dozens of studies have shown that but you know that, that's interesting you know it, it's a cultural thing it is, and it's going to be sure. hard to to change that yeah for sure
0: so, the one thing that I want to talk about specific to the WIP facility before we get into the incident, okay. um, I don't really know, I don't like calling it the incident.
1: It was a slight leak. Um, we'll call that, it that a slight leak. I like
0: that. Yeah. So, there's a lot of reference been made also regarding our DGR project compared to the WIP and the WIP having this 10,000 acre buffer zone. Was it designed <laughs> to have a 10,000 acre buffer zone?
1: No, no. It, in 1992, uh, Congress passed the Land Withdrawal Act that set aside 16 square miles for nuclear waste disposal. Okay. In the center of that is WIP, but, but it can go out towards the edges. I mean, it, it, there's no, you know, you just can't do anything else in, within that 16 square miles. So, so it's, it's
0: very similar it's to fine. here. Um, I don't know how familiar you are with Canada's plan. So here they have so far optioned, to purchase or purchased 1,500 acres with 250 acres as the surface facility. So it would be like a protected zone that no one is allowed to get in. So it's very similar. From what I've seen online, it looks like WIP is maybe 100 acres for control zone Um, one.
1: Yeah, which is not very much.
0: The point that I want to drive home is that 10,000 acres was not built in to protect the public from this super dangerous facility that needed to be isolated from everything.
1: No, it was just the amount of, of area set aside for this purpose
0: right it was and, just and,
1: and that's it yeah.
0: a convenient amount of land that was there
1: yep um, and, and, and the rock is the rock was so good, and there's ten thousand square miles of it, so sixteen square miles doesn't isn't very much
0: that's also I guess one of the main differences is the whip is situated in salt, whereas here they're looking yeah. at sedimentary rock. So let's talk about the incident or the, the slight leak. Can <laughs> right. you just give us a quick overview of what exactly it was that happened?
1: Yeah. So what, what happened on the 14th, February 14th, Valentine's Day, 2014, was that a puff of airborne radioactivity, very slight, just at the limited detection, was detected at the whip in the whip underground. Okay. So it was 2,000 feet below the surface uh, and we have uh, cams there, so uh, continuous monitoring. Uh, alpha monitoring. So immediately the ventilation went to HEPA filtration, so you know when, when you're down in in the mine you want you want the air to be HEPA filtered uh, if something happens. So the amount released was about 1.8 Baccarat per meter cubed, not even reportable to the EPA. You wouldn't even, you know, anywhere else you wouldn't even care about it, wouldn't even report it, but of course DOE has to report everything. And that quickly dropped to hundredths of a Baccarat per meter squared. It's measurable, but thousands of times less than background. Okay. So this was not a big deal. This is just a little bit, but you know, it's detectable and, and we need to deal with it. So 21 workers had a detectable amount at first, and then it quickly disappeared. Okay. And it was also well below human background. So, you know, when you detect something in, in uh, in nuclear science and radiation science, uh, radiation biology, you always go back and take a second look. And the second look showed nothing. So there was no contamination, no one was contaminated, because contamination means something, you know, it means it's there. If it's not there, after a minute, it's not there. So whatever happened, yeah, it was at the limited detection, and that's fine. But then it was not. Um, so. What actually happened with these particular wastes, they're really weird wastes. Canada would never have anything like them. In the 1970s and 80s, they're metal nitrate salts that were nitric acid generated from something that's called bottom wastes, americium bottom wastes from older weapons. So the idea was to remove the americium from the weapons material and then generate a salt waste with it. It was, you know, 30 years later, it was retrieved for packaging to whip. And unfortunately, the people that were doing the packaging, the repackaging, didn't really read the labels, okay, of the stuff they were putting in there. So they put a, you know, a, a neutralizer, you know, solution and they put metal nitrate absorbance, uh, but they were incompatible with some of the metal nitrates in the waste, okay. Okay, and what happens is that that ends up generating heat. So it, it, it's called an auto oxidation reaction. So it so it oxidizes uh, the material around it, and it begins to get hot. It doesn't explode. Okay, it just gets hot like charcoal briquettes. All right. Okay. Now we advise them to add kitty litter <laughs> to, the, to the drums because we use kitty litter in, in rad labs all the time. It's a great absorbent, but clay kitty litter, you know, zeolitic clay. Kitty litter, not organic kitty litter. Okay, um, and unfortunately, someone had this great idea that oh, let's use organic because it's organic, right? Yeah, uh-huh. but it's organic chemically. Okay, it's not inorganic clay, so it doesn't quench those auto oxidation reactions. It actually just added fuel to it. And then they put the lid on and it got shipped to to whip. So two drums were like this because those had the lead metal acid uh, waste in them and that has the lowest reaction temperature. And so, so they just got hot and one of them was locked away in room six that was already you know, closed up. So if it went off, it didn't make any difference. Uh, but one was in one of the new rooms that we were adding waste to, and it popped its top. You know, it just got hot and it just expanded and popped the top and it sent out uh, some waste. But every one of these drums cannot have more than seven ounces of americium or plutonium that's it
0: seven ounces
1: only ounces per 55 gallon drum wow okay so there's just not much there so when this one popped its top yeah some of it went out but it was only seven ounces of americium total and as soon as the underground alarm saw that it was being taken up by, by by the exhaust air because the way it's set up and and you know Canada should have a similar setup like that, where air comes into the underground, goes over people, then over the waste, and then out. So, so air that has contacted waste never recontacts people. Okay, so you know it's those those kind of engineering designs that that uh, that we're good at doing. So anyway, so so some you know some of this got out, and it kind of you know as it was going about a half a mile along the exhaust shaft. The, it you know, some, most of it played it out, but a little bit got up and a teeny bit, like I, I mentioned about a, the equivalent of a, of americium in a hundred smoke detectors, which you couldn't even see, um, right. got out. That's it. Right. So again, we, we, we saw, we saw a little bit on the surface. Okay. That, that just came out and we have, have detectors right at the air exhaust shafts and right near it and all that kind of stuff. Nothing got off site or anything, but it came out and we saw it. And then we relooked again, and we didn't see it right. okay, so, so let's
0: let's just back up a little bit. When you talked about the the lid popped off the drum, you know, some people say that the drum exploded underground. no, no, no,
1: no, so there that, was no the explosion. It's off. just
0: the lid popped and the air and whatever escaped from yes. the
1: Yes. In fact, the top of it didn't come all the way off. It just kind of cracked open, you know, it right. pulled, it, it deformed because it was hot and it deformed. And then, you know, the pressure pushed out a bunch of the stuff. Right. So um, no drum explosion,
0: but, yeah.
1: as people like no to say, explosion. there's
0: no drum explosion. Right. And it ended up that there was actually very, very, very little radioactivity released. Yeah, Fairly anything. The, the it didn't leave the site.
1: The, Right, the repository contained ninety nine point nine nine percent of it.
0: Right. So my question that also comes up a lot is: there's this um, narrative that our our some people in our town like to give out that the reason the public wasn't affected is because the nearest town is thirty five kilometers away, and that if that were to happen here, obviously that exact scenario can't happen here because we're dealing with a different waste. That we can't, they can't guarantee the town wouldn't be damaged by that, you know, because the town is just two kilometers away.
1: That's nonsense. People 10 feet away from the, uh, didn't get hurt. So there, (laughs) like, there would have have been no, if that incident
0: had happened at the proposed DGR outside of Teeswater, which could never actually happen, but if it did, the people of Teeswater would be
1: fine. Right, yeah, there's absolutely nothing, and this kind of waste uh, the reason that it popped its top is because we actually mix stuff into it. We mix right. the wrong stuff. OK, so you get a follow procedure. Really, really yes. important. Um, but you don't have this kind of waste at all. So, you you know, the the nuclear reactor waste doesn't get mixed with anything. Right. Um, and see, know, that's and the thing,
0: too, that I find gets brought up a lot, you know, that the WIP incident was caused by human error, which it was like you can't right. argue that it wasn't. And the argument that we hear a lot is, well, that can also happen here. But I argue that that can't can't. happen here because you're literally going to repackage the fuel bundle from the dry storage cask, put it into the repository cask. You're not mixing anything. You're just placing it in a different container.
1: Right, right. So there's no way this can happen. This was a chemical reaction. Okay, that, that is only a result of this particular bizarre waste stream, these americium bottom wastes that you would never have. I mean, it, you know, right. us and the Soviets are the only ones that had them. In fact, I think it's only us. I don't think the Soviets did this kind of thing either. Right. Um, so, you know, and, and, that's, and again, this happened outside of WIP. I mean, this happened 250 miles away, this mixture was up at Los Alamos. Uh, WIP contained it. WIP behaved perfectly. It was supposed to contain it, and it did. Okay, so again, WHIP worked perfectly. So it's it's this was not an accident of WHIP, this is an accident of Los Alamos, and right. when WHIP worked, okay. Now we could have cleaned it up quickly and gone on, but you know, DOE of course overreacts. So <laughs> I fine. know Everyone there's
0: the overall total for the cleanup. I believe was like five hundred million dollars. So that yeah. cleanup, like just to be clear about that cleanup, was done to keep the workers underground safe, correct? Because it was. Contaminated oh, most yeah, underground, was the, or was it like yeah, a? There was only underground. Okay, so it was basically for workers. The yeah, cleanup yes. wasn't for the environment or for the water. Or no. like nothing was contaminated. It was to keep the workers underground safe, essentially.
1: Right, right, right. right.
0: And so yeah, you mentioned absolutely. that you mentioned there was the one barrel in the sealed room. So right. did anything happen with that barrel, or they? We don't still know. There?
1: You. you you would never know. I mean, it's still there, but, you know, that room is closed and that and that's what it's supposed to do. So, you know, this repository, the salt creeps closed. Actually, it's a, you know, it's a huge trash, trash compactor. It's kind of funny. Um, it creeps closed. And so everything gets crushed. So the whole yeah. idea of the barrels is, is only for transportation and placement. Uh, eventually they all crack and that's fine because the salt, the rock is doing all the work. It's doing right. all the containment and the isolation. So,
0: right. So, the actual so, so geology, of the geological repository did its job.
1: <laughs> right. So, yeah. actually, and that's the what we're supposed to do. I mean, you
0: know, people here claim that the WIP is this demonstration of how DGRs are failures, but actually, it's a demonstration of how they're successful.
1: Oh, yeah. This was incredibly successful. Uh, again, even with this little leak, which again is totally overblown by everyone, um, it is the safest. Uh, operation that humans have ever done it's the safest operation in the world in history okay and and it's nuclear waste which is really weird so um in in, even with this event whip is 10 years ahead of schedule and a billion dollars under budget with that event even with it with that event
0: wow yeah
1: so uh, it's like you can't say this has failed in any single way you know people always
0: say that too about the spent fuel DGR here that, you know, nuclear projects have never been on time and they've never been on budget. But WIP, a waste facility is actually proving that even with this release yeah. or light release that you can do it yep. in time. Well, ahead of time and yeah. ahead of budget. Yeah, that's yeah. as long phenomenal. as you
1: design the repository well, you design it well, you pick a good rock and, and it's good. I mean, it, it's really, there's very few failure scenarios um, especially for spent fuel because spent fuel doesn't leak It's not liquid.
0: Right. So let's go ahead and talk a little bit about, tell me a little bit about the environmental monitoring program from Carlsbad.
1: Right. So, so when, when DOE first, in fact, you know, 1957 Nash Academy of Sciences decided that the salt near Carlsbad was the best place to put nuclear waste. Okay. Um, And that's fine. You know, 1957 and all waste was supposed to go there. So that's why WIP was designed and built for all nuclear waste of any type. Then it got a little, you know, political, of course, you know, in the 60s and 70s, and then uh, WHIP started being built in 1978, okay, and it was finished in 1983, okay, Okay. it just wasn't licensed, because then there was a groundswell of anti-nuclear sentiment after Three Mile Island, of course, nothing happened there either uh, to hurt anyone, so So it took them 16 more years until 1999 when a judge said, forget this, stop it. You've been holding this up for 16 years for no reason. Um, And it said, you can start, start going. Now, during that interval, the city of Carlsbad, which had you know hosting this, this repository, uh, they got rewarded for that from DOE, of course. They got you know new roads, which is a big deal, of course, because you want the transportation of nuclear waste to be on good roads, not old roads, right? So you want yep. good roads. They get, you know, emergency management money, things like that. And they got this environmental monitoring center. Okay. Now it was an independent, so the grant, it was a grant, very important, not a contract, a grant. From the from DOE to New Mexico State University, so it was a university-run, independent monitoring center that just had the best whole-body counter, the best counting uh, equipment. I mean, it was really a brilliant, a brilliant. Uh, uh, facility. I was director there for six years. It was great. We had the we had the lowest uh, background of, of any place in the world. We can measure femto curies, which you know no one ever uses femto. It's great. So wow. <laughs> so um, yes, I mean background in air is not even down to the femto curie level. So you know you want that. You want to you, you need to hold out that for that. You say if we're going to do this for you, Canadian government, then we want a few things. So. You know, one, we want an independent university based uh, radiochemistry laboratory and monitoring center. So you can do research, you can do monitoring, you can host, you know, things. It's really cool because the people of that region want to know if they're being contaminated, of course, right? So, yeah. so anyone, the 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 C, in fact, look at CMERC.org. So C E M R C.org. Okay. That stands for Carlsbad Environmental Monitoring Research Center. So. Um, and, and, so you can go in their website, you can read their reports and look at the, the, the facility. It's, it's actually quite brilliant. Anyone from a hundred mile radius could just walk in and say, I want to get counted. And we had, you know, had this great whole body counter, just lay down, find out how radioactive you are. We could see if you smoke, we could see if you smoke cigarettes, we could see if you were a hunter that ate a lot of wild game because the radioactivity in you is slightly different when you do that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and, and so and then we would routinely look at air, water, soil samples from around the region. Now, most importantly, is air, because that's the vector. That's the material. That's the transport pathway of, of anything out of, of our, our repository. Water is too slow. Um, you're, you're way below any aquifers anyway, and, and solid doesn't move at all. So it's basically air. So, so you have a bunch of air monitors around the site and around the region. We had, you know, on-site, near field and far field 10 miles away. And as a result of that, we did some really great science. It had nothing to do with the repository. We could actually look. We could see when China had huge dust storms that would wow. drop stuff on us. Okay. I mean, it was really cool. So when you have a facility like that, uh, one, it's great jobs. But two, it actually makes you a center for research. And, right. and that's good. That's a very, a very nice and- benefit that the local... Town should have.
0: And so, like, when you talk about jobs and stuff, like, roughly how many people would you think would be employed at the Carlsbad facility specifically?
1: Uh, on, on, only 40. So, or, or oh, okay. so, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, at the research facility. But but again, people from elsewhere, you know, Los Alamos had, a, had an office there of, of about 40 people, and they would come and use our, our laboratories. We actually built them a uranium plutonium lab uh, when I was director there. And then you know Sandia had a, an office there of about fifty people. The DOE, of course, had its own you know facility offsite. The, the management that probably had a hundred people. So yeah, so it kind of builds up because there's always other things going on that are related yeah. to it, but not a, but not official. Part. I'm of definitely
0: intrigued. Itself. I'm I'm intrigued by that research facility. I think you know there's a lot of concern about samples being fudged or not true. You know to.
1: No that no, see you that's know how where you people want it. Are with
0: conspiracies right but oh, yes. i think that would be a really um, interesting third party independent facility you know that i think that's a great idea and
1: that's why you you want it run by a university mm-hmm. okay and so you want to uh, you know you want to find a university that basically has a radiochemistry department or a nuclear science mm-hmm. department It's not that many but that's the one you want to to run it okay because you won't have any fudging okay because they're it's funny scientists. though
0: because we have people who claim that research from universities isn't, isn't credible because it's funded by the NWMO.
1: Oh, that's so, that, yeah. Yeah. Well, th- there's no way around that. I mean, that, that's kind of Which I think is ridiculous and, and... to
0: say that someone's going yeah, to ru- like potentially ruin their career.
1: Not just that, but the scientific community polices itself better than anyone else can because who knows about this stuff, right? Yeah. So when, you, when you're published, when you're pu- in universities, it's publish or perish, right? So if you're published in a peer-reviewed journal, you can't fudge very easily. We always find that out. Very, very hard to do. So no one ever, ever does it because, you know, scientists in the same field are going to know you're fudging. I mean, that, that's yeah. pretty easy. Yeah. And that's why you want this, you want this facility, because you'll have visiting scientists. We would have visiting scientists who would come there and, for six months, a year, and do research, and they would see if there's anything wrong. So you want a very robust research facility and monitoring facility. It's almost like a secondary
0: oversight.
1: District. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and because it was a grant, see, contracts can be pulled. Right. Right, right. And and so if you have a grant, that's why universities love grants. That's why you know a lot of my money was grant money. You there's no strings attached to grant money. You can do what you want. And and for whatever the grant period is, you can't pull it. So you want you want the government to give you this kind of facility, both the construction money and the long-term operation. You want it long term. You want it for like 10 years at least. And so, and that's pretty much the only way you're going to convince the public that this is safe is if they have an independent environmental and human monitoring facility.
0: Um, so just to reiterate here before we wrap up, very slight leak, nobody was hurt. Right. The whip performed exactly as it was supposed to, contained the release, nothing left the site. It wouldn't have mattered if somebody was living right next door, they would have been fine.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, so like in your opinion, DGRs are a perfectly safe way if they're in appropriate rock formations.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We know how to do this. We know how to, we've been looking at this for 50 years. This isn't anything new.
0: And then there was another thing that came up just recently in the news that we had shared around our community about the restart of a ventilation fan. And someone had stated that it released
1: radioactivity
0: into the atmosphere.
1: And we should be worried about that coming to our community. No, that's, that's nonsense. So what, what after this whole event thing, since then since you know for the last seven years since 2014 they've been redesigning and replacing the ventilator shafts because you know underground they got slightly contaminated slightly contaminated so they've been but it's not something you do overnight so now they are actually replacing they dug a new a new shaft and and they're going to have a a whole new system i don't think they needed that but it looks good and that's fine so right uh, but yeah those there's no problem.
0: My interpretation of the article was that there was no problem. It it sounded like there was something like 200 air samples taken. Anything that they picked up was well below reportable limits. And then there was actually what they had picked up as being released was something like 5,000 times lower than the background limit. They didn't release anything. Right.
1: See, see the, the problem is there's radiation everywhere. I mean, there's radiation in that wall behind you. All right. Yep. There's radiation in the food you eat. There's radiation, the cosmic rays. the whole but the whole bit. Soil has the most radiation. Um, and it's you can't get rid of it. You can't get below background. And in fact, it takes at least 10 or 20 times background to have any health effects at all. OK, we've been studying this for you know almost 100 years now. And so the idea that you that you have a little bit of radiation that's, you know, 100 times below background. Well, who cares? I mean, you got potato chips are the most radioactive food. And, you know, anything's ever gotten out of whip has been about 10 times lower than a family-sized bag of potato chips. Okay. Wow. So if you're going to get upset about that kind of stuff, okay, fine. But Bill, you'll get upset about anything.
0: Um, so just before we wrap it up, I'd like to ask my podcast guests, what advice would you give to somebody who is undecided or on the
1: fence about this project? Just like this, talk to an actual scientist, not not to a conspiracy theorist or someone who doesn't know anything, but thinks they do because they've listened to you know, other people okay, who are not scientists. So you have to trust sources depending on where they, what they are. Okay. So if it's just some, some person on, you know, on Facebook, no, of course not. But if you're going to go to government or university sources and actually read those, they are good because they're peer reviewed. So I know there's kind of an anti-science movement around the world now, which is really horrible uh, because science and engineering is what lifted us up out of, you know, poverty into the modern world, just kind of weird.
0: Yeah, it's very troubling to me, this death of expertise or this inability to believe in science that seems to be plaguing the world right now. But that is also another episode that I do plan to do sometime in the future. Thanks so much for taking the time to join me today. And I uh, look forward to talking with you again in the future. You're welcome. And that's it for this episode of Willing to Listen, South Bruce Proud. I look forward to further investigating Canada's plan for spent nuclear fuel along with all of you. Thanks so much for joining me, and remember, we don't have to agree on anything to be kind to one another.